Hello there, Rabbi. I don't know. Which Rabbi? We have a special guest today, Rabbi Schusterman, who has given me permission to call him Rabbi Cushy. I love that name. Thank you, Rabbi. Uh, who has come done. to discuss one of our previous recordings from June 19th with Rabbi Block. So uh, my name is Cushy. And whenever someone talks about the Cushite woman in the Bible, it's always interesting to me because I've been accused of uh, usurping that name. The Rashi, the commentator on that, uh, the known biblical commentator, uh, comments that she was called Isha Cushite, the Cushite woman, um, because that she shouldn't have the evil eye. And that Rashi says a cryptic line over there where he says, like a person calls his good-looking son Cushy. And uh, I always wondered if there's anyone who took that took that uh, that comment to heart. My father had six boys, and I'm number seven. So I guess I'm the good-looking one. One of the things that I, I wanted to mention before we get started is during the COVID, the last couple of years, I've been working with two distinct groups of individuals coming to convert. And I've started a, another group with three people. And I use the reform, the URJ curriculum, 18 sessions. I also give each of the prospective converts, the people in the class, four websites. And I ask them to visit the websites after each of our subjects. And it's the reform website, the conservative website, the renewal website, and the Chabad website. And one of the things I ask them to do is after each class, visit the Chabad website for every class. The others, you can go through them if you want, or if you don't. The Chabad website is an incredible tool. I wanted to tell you that for the Torah portion, for putting in our topic. And as you mentioned, our medieval commentator Rashi, it's a way for individuals who have never heard of some of our commentators that the Chabad website presents them in conjunction with the weekly portion. And so I just wanted you to know that. That And the other thing I forward to people, are your weekly, are they weekly comments? Are they weekly every, blog. Yeah, I send that out to the same group of people because they're thought-provoking and even if we don't discuss them in class, uh, they provide a key and on different subjects on introspection or on the Torah portion, whatever you may be speaking. So I want to thank you for that. And I did want to mention the Chabad website because it's a real asset. I also give everyone the link to Safaria so that the, anything, I'll reference it or ask them to go look it up yourself. So they have access you to our traditional material. And uh, as you know, with me, you're always going to get honesty. And at least, you know, there's some people who can you can agree with and disagree with. But some people, when you disagree with them, you're no longer in a relationship. And you and I, thank God, since uh, we moved to Hartford County, even before we moved, you told me, um, and I'll never forget it, you said... You're not a competition. You are a lighthouse, and your job is to be a light for the ship passing in the night. 
So I've always been grateful for that uh, that line, which uh, gives perspective. And uh, while when a person goes through a conversion that's not the traditional conversion, I may not give them a bar mitzvah, and sometimes they get very upset at me, um, saying, "Oh, why are you being so rigid? Why don't you accept me?" Yep, and. You've heard me use the metaphor before, as you just mentioned about you wouldn't do the bar mitzvah, then I view us as cars on a train. And it's the Jewish train. And as you mentioned, there's a, we want to make sure every Jew stays on the train. And that means being able to move between the cars. It also means that each car can have its own views. As the conductor of this train at the moment, I, I feel er, obliged to ask for your tickets, please. Uh, uh, that we've now that we've established mutual admiration and respect, we want to go on to the subject at hand, which is numbers one, numbers twelve, one verses one through sixteen, which is the crux of the hub of the conversation, as it were. And uh, now we're going to see just how much mutual respect we have as you present your alternating points of view. Rabbi Block, if I recall, you use these verses as an example that God approves or does not object in any way to interfaith or interracial relationships. Is that correct? Yes, and the one of our reasons today is to give kushi so that people can hear two distinct and make their own decisions or decide rather than one of us right, one of us wrong. And uh, so what I message Rabbi Block is, so the interracial relationships, the Torah has, the Torah, the Rebbe once wrote to someone, the Lubavitcher Rebbe of blessed memory once wrote to someone that the Torah is written black on white and it's colorblind. Someone asked the Rebbe if they can have an interracial marriage. And I'm in no disagreement. They're, according to most opinions, uh, either Tsipora was from Ethiopia and was a dark colored skin or not, Moses's wife. But the Torah definitely has no issue with interracial marriage. At the same time, um, I disagree with this hypothesis that there's any reason to believe that Sipporah wasn't Jewish. The fact that she was, or if even if it was Sipporah, if the Isha Kushit was Sipporah, there's what reason would there be to believe that she specifically was not Jewish? So what I was messaging to Rabbi Block was, I don't see the source in the straight biblical text that she wasn't Jewish. So I don't think you can infer from those verses that the Torah encourages um, inter uh, encourages or at least doesn't discourage interfaith marriage, especially in the Torah portion that we read yesterday, where the Torah says clearly that you sh one shouldn't give their son to their daughters or their daughters to their son, lest they lead them astray. Now, what about Jethro? Where does Jethro fit in as Moses's father-in-law? Um, so the way I see it is if a person becomes Jewish, their father and mother do not necessarily make that same decision. So if a person converts properly, they are now Jewish. They're as Jewish as Moses. When I say as Jewish as Moses, because who says Moses was even Jewish prior to the giving of the Torah? Is there a source that Moses was Jewish? Who says even Abraham was Jewish? We refer to Abraham often as the first Jew. But w when did he go through a conversion process? For our forefathers, I believe that, uh, that the Jewish people as a whole 
converted in mass prior to the giving of the Torah. And that's that one of the reasons Sinai? why. Are you yeah, thinking, Pushi, you're thinking that at Sinai, with the giving, that that was the moment when, when was it 40,000, 60,000? How many of our people were at Sinai? I just a minimum, a, a, a minimum of 600,000 men between the ages of 20 and 60. So I would assume, let's say, 3 million, 2 million. Let's just give it, you know, but, but I'll even take it a step further and say it says that they all went to the mikvah. They all had to wash themselves a few days before the giving of the Torah. So perhaps that was the mikvah. And then the giving of the Torah, when they said, let we will listen and we will do, that was them accepting the yoke of the mitzvot. So like this, they've done, and the circumcision, they already, uh, either they had or they did at that in that time frame. So they've gone through the entire conversion process right then. So then if we, if we would want to look at Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Rebecca, Rachel, the uh, matriarchs and patriarchs, in terms of Jewish, not Jewish, we would use Mount Sinai as the moment when, when the, our people became Jewish. Then prior to that, as you mentioned, we don't have any evidence. We, there, and I don't see a reason. And we don't even need evidence. Because what's the difference between a new Jew and a non-Jew at their core? At their core, they're the same. They're both people. Ultimately, becoming Jewish is an evolution. It's a process. So yes, Abraham was the first Jew, but what was he legally Jewish? I don't know. And no one cared if he was legally Jewish because it didn't make a difference. There was no difference. He lived a Jewish lifestyle. He did mitzvahs in whatever way he did. But I don't think he put on tefillin the same way you and I put on tefillin. I don't think he lived his life, at, you know, kept kosher the same way. There was no Torah in the conventional Torah to follow the laws of the Torah. What defines a Jew is someone who follows Torah. And the Jewish people, when you're one person, you're not a people, unless you're living in your head. So, so over time... Over time, they became the Jewish people. But prior to that, they were the grandchildren of Abraham and then eventually the, the children of Israel. So then we, we take Sinai as, is that a watershed date? Is that the correct terminology? As the marker point from then on, we developed into the Jewish people and began accepting the 613 mitzvot. Correct. Correct. That's how I would view it. And I'll even take it a step further. It says Nasev Nishma then, and the Talmud, the rabbis in the Talmud say that when did they really, really accept the Torah? In the time of Purim, in the book of Esther, when it says Kimu Vikiblu, they, uh, they uh, fulfilled and they accepted. So that was, again, another watershed moment when the Jewish people, despite being in exile, despite having lived experience, they then once again accepted the Torah and reaffirmed or uh, what one may refer to as renewing their vows. So then what we want to think of is Judaism evolved into steps. We have these landmark, these watershed moments when it's renewed, but at a higher level with more understanding and more teachings. So that as we, what would be the next watershed after Esther? I would say, so Esther was between the first and second temple. Mm -hmm. um, and I would say after that is sort of, I guess, when the, the Talmud was printed 
um, was first uh, um, developed, I guess, at the end or in middle of the, at the end of the first, no, the beginning of the second half. Second century. Yeah. So, you know, so if you think about it, um, that would probably be the next big moment when there was codified the official, this is the Jewish law. And as the Maimonides writes, and no one could argue that's when it was canonized. So what we, oh yeah, go ahead, Joe. No. So to, if, if I'm understanding the conversation correctly, and what are the odds of that? Uh, we're, are you saying, Cushy, uh, that there's, that it's an evolving, becoming a Jew is an evolving process, or has it at that point that you described, was that where it was set in stone and there were specific rules that had to be followed? And does that include the Inclu inclusion of other races and religions into the Jewish community. Did I say that right? <laughs> so, I, so I would say it's very, it's exactly that. There's prior to the giving of the Torah, anyone who wanted could join the family of the Jewish people. Technically, practically, from just from a technical standpoint, people didn't really. But you know, Rebecca. What, make, what makes Rebecca Jewish? She grew up in Laban's house. What makes uh, um, Zilpa, Billa and Zilpa Jewish? I mean, it, it, there's no place that I know of that it says that they converted. You know, it, it, there's commentaries that would prefer to say that they converted. But there's no location that I know that it says biblically or even in the rabbinic literature that says, we know they converted on this and this day. So, so what makes them Jewish? Ultimately, um, law, Jewish law is developed. And then God at Mount Sinai gave over saying, this is what I would like. If you want to join my club, here are the requirements to entry. If you want to join my club, here's the rules. And those rules became established. Now, how those rules are played out on a purely technical level, if a person follows the checklist, they're Jewish, but they didn't know. How do we know if the person followed the checklist? So they established a bet in. So the checklist started to include that you have a verification process that the checklist was followed. And well, here in DC, nothing's official unless you get the certificate, unless someone, and that the bet dean would give the hecture, would certify that the individual had learned had pra and was practicing standing as witness for the, the bet dean then stand as a witness for the jewish community that the individual has fulfilled the requirements well it's all about the paperwork as we all know very well well thank you very much this is such a delight not having one but two rabbis to say thank you very much for your wisdom and for sharing it god willing we will all together move the train in the right direction <laughs> well said thank you